So we're continuing on in our series in Colossians 3, 5 through 11. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. There are some guys coming down the aisles. If you need a Bible, uh, just look at them, wave, wave at them. You, you can keep that Bible if you don't have one. It's, it's a gift to you from the Lord through uh, Renew. So we're going to continue on in Colossians 3, uh, starting at verse 5. I'll give you a moment to get there. <clears throat> and it reads, So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Let's pray. Lord, we come again before you, so humbled and thankful that you speak to us through your spirit and through your word, Lord. And just pray that you prepare our hearts and our minds to receive your word this morning and and, uh, not, and to come here with whatever burdens we have and lay it at your feet, Lord. And we pray that we don't leave unchanged, that your spirit works in us to reveal to us whatever it is that you want to reveal. As your spirit leads us, we're so thankful for him in our lives that guides us. Thank you for your son that died for our sins so that way we, we may be forgiven, Lord. Pray that you use me, Lord. I pray that whatever you want me to say, I say and whatever you don't, that I don't. Thank you for your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. <clears throat> so preparing for the message, preparing for the, se- the series, really, when you sit down and I was breaking it up, and when I got to the section, I thought, oh, this is going to be fun. Um, this is exciting. Uh, but it really is. It, it really is. Uh, anytime that we deal with sin, uh, we can look at it one or two ways, usually, typically. And I'm speaking to you, Christian, in the room. Um, we either can look at it as like, oh, that's not for me. I don't have that problem. Or, oh, that's me, and I can't deal with it. The good news is Christ has already dealt with it. And how we live our life is an indication of what that means. So as I was preparing for this message, I, I, I went back to the good old middle school days and... and uh, I don't know if anyone really ever calls middle school, middle school good old days. If you're in middle school, God bless you. Uh, or junior high or whatever you called it at that time. But one of, the, one of the moments whenever I think something gross of middle school. That's a great way to start a message, right? Something gross of middle school. I think that's when Axe body spray came out for me. And uh, yeah, it's awful. And, um, and I can only speak for the men and the boys in the room. So ladies, I'm sure you're not gross like us. But um, it's disgusting to have all these junior high boys, middle school boys, run the mile or whatever, play sports, come back into the locker room, not take a shower and spray up with body cologne. It's dis- and it's still disgusting. And I told you uh, that uh, I started playing roller hockey every once in a while. And you know what? There are some grown men who are in their late 60s who instead of spraying their body with Axe body spray, 
decide that uh, Old Spice is the new body spray. Um, Just in case you think that's a good idea, it's not. Showers are your friends. Uh, Soap, that's a good one. I'm not talking about the coronavirus or anything. Just generally speaking, wash your hands, take a shower. But what's funny about that, or disgusting about that, is sometimes that spray and then you walk through it or spray it all over your body or in your gym bag, that's kind of sometimes how we treat the Christian life. If I just throw on a little bit of Jesus on top of everything that's going on, I'll be fine. Because at least I won't stink. Well, you do. We do. But, but that's what Paul is addressing here. He's basically saying, hey, that old car, that old jalopy that you're driving, that you call your body, don't just spray paint over top of it. Do something. Be renewed. Fix it the right way. And, and as I was going through this, I, my theme that I was thinking about, and I have a couple of them and we'll go through it, is that relationships motivate what we do. Relationships motivate what we do. You know, whenever you're, for those of you who have been married for longer than a day, you can remember back, or even those who are dating currently, you remember that you are so motivated by winning over the person that you are in love with. Uh, when it was cool and neat and hip when you were first dating to, when you, or when you were first married and you forgot something, you had no problem getting dressed again and going back out at 1130 at night for something at the grocery store. If you've been married for a while, now you play rock, paper, scissors of who has to get up and change the baby. But the relationship changes because how much you're invested in the relationship dictates, motivates what you're doing. And that's what Paul is trying to express here. He's really trying to, and he he lines out all of these sins that we're going to walk through. But I, I want us just to concentrate on Christ through this more than the sin. And not ignoring sin because sin is awful. It separated us from Christ. But if all we do is spray the body spray and not actually clean what's going on, then really what has changed in our life? And sometimes there is a misunderstanding about the forgiveness of sin. It's not just that God has uh, given your sin on his son, which he has, and placed it on it. And it's not that God has just forgiven your sins of the past or your current sins, or your future sins. All very true. But in that power, he wants a relationship with you where you walk away from the sin that's holding on to you, where you put to death these sins. It becomes more revealing as time goes on in your Christian life and, and your Christian walk, the way that we Christians live our life, set apart holiness, Uh, draws people in. It's not just that when people see a crisis in our life and we have this peace and they ask you, how are you so calm? And that's our our opening to talk about Jesus. But it's it's also when we totally blow it, we totally sin, we totally mess up, and we own it. Nothing is more beautiful than someone who owns the sin. But in our society today, we like to treat sin like a pet. And I'll get into that in a moment. But this is exactly the same thing that Paul was facing with this church in Colossae when he wrote this letter. There was a whole bunch of things going on. And the primary one that he's focusing on, this heresy, this false truth, whatever you want to call it, was that what you do spiritually doesn't matter physically. And what you do physically doesn't matter spiritually. It's totally 
Not true. They're both related. So again, as we go through this, he says in verse five, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you, having nothing to do with sexual immorality, purity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater. Worship the things of this world. What he's saying is deal with the sin. Deal with it right away. And he says, no, don't, don't deal with it. Don't just deal with it. Because what does that actually mean? He says, put to death. Put to death. And he talks about, first he lines up saying sexual immorality. Now right off the bat, we don't have to spend so much time on it. Not that it's not important, but he's talking specifically that uh, sexual relationships between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman who are married. Anything outside of that is sinful. It includes pornography, um, any other sexual immorality that you can think of, he's, he's, he's talking about that. Impurity, anything that's impure, filter it through. One of the greatest gifts I think that we can give our children and someone who's growing up in Christ is not, the, um, not to hide them behind a fence and protect them from the world that's coming in and attacking them, but giving them this great filter in which they are able to absorb whatever the world's throwing at them and throwing it and picking it apart and filtering it. Because if all you ever do is set up these walls to protect yourself, when something comes in, because it will, if you don't know how to handle it, you won't. So this filter, this ability to say, all right, this is impure, get rid of it. The description that uh, I, I, I enjoy is, is treat everything like chewing gum. You chew on it for a little bit and you figure out if it's bad or good. If it's bad, obviously you're going to spit it out. But if it's good, like a compliment, chew on it. Thank it and spit it out. Don't keep it. Don't, don't absorb it. Be able to filter through what it is. That's the impure purity and lust. Anything that you lust that isn't love that our world describes is love, is lust and evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is idolater. But I want to spend some time talking about putting to death the sinful nature. Putting to death. Paul doesn't say stop the sin. He doesn't say put it to the side. He doesn't say take a break, suppress it. You can control it. He says have nothing to do with it. Put it to death. Because what has happened, especially with the sexual immorality, is, and it's clear, like I said, Matthew 19, 3 through 6, Jesus is challenged and they, the Pharisees are trying to trick him into answering incorrectly about divorce, but he handles it and he, he again describes one man, one woman for a lifetime. But what the world does is they take what God has ordered and designed, which is beautiful and perfect, and then try to spin it and change it to destroy this beautiful thing of anything that God has put in order. And really what it is is taking bits and pieces of something when it's not our time. Take bits and pieces of something that doesn't belong to us instead of waiting so that way we can have the whole fullness of what Christ desires. For sex before marriage, if you will. Taking bits and pieces of what God has designed which is good between a husband and a wife and destroying it. Impure things. To change it. Because what happens is if we only snack in the dark, then we're never fulfilled. We never actually have a full meal, a full description of what God wants for us. And that's what he's doing. He says, put to death. Because if you don't put it to death then, and you just say, I'll deal with it later. I'll put it in my back pocket. I'll hide it in my closet. I'll deal with it later. We don't actually ever deal with it. 
And the best thing that I could think of, and, and bear with me, I'll, I'll, we'll see how this goes, is I, I, always, I always imagine sin that's not dealt with as the dog that you have. Has anyone ever had a crazy dog that jumps all over everybody, chews on everything, and even the dog is like 10 years old and it's still wild and crazy? And when people come over, you just kind of hide it in the backyard, put it in its cage kennel, you put, hide it in the room. Because the reality is, is when someone comes over, you don't want this crazy wild dog jumping all over everybody, chewing on their shoes, chewing on their bag, chewing on their backpack, their purse, the couch, the car, whatever. I had one of those dogs, right? So what you do is you just put it away. Because I don't want anyone to deal with the dog because it's annoying and no one likes a 120-pound dog jumping on them. It's not a lap dog. But that's sometimes how we treat sin is I'll just put it away for now. I'll deal with it later. But actually, you don't. What you do with this sin or with this dog, if you will, is you just hide it. You'll deal with it later because you don't want anyone else to see it. And Paul says that's not the way to handle sin. He says put it to death. Kill it. Handle it right away. No, I'm not suggesting you should kill your dog if it's crazy. But, but you understand what I'm saying is don't hide it. Deal with it right away. And that's really one of the greatest gifts that we can help people with, including ourselves, is identify the sin and put it to death. You know, and, and I see this over and over and over again. Even like for the Lenten season, for those who, who've given up something or gained something for the Lenten season, the time to leading up to Easter to, to be reminded of what Jesus did 40 days in the wilderness is, is um, give up something. Quite frequently, I, I give up uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. It's my favorite dessert. Well, I like dessert, just generally speaking. But uh, so usually whenever I give up something like that, the first year I remember specifically, I kept a peanut butter cup in the refrigerator just in case for emergencies. I mean, I gave it up completely, but I kept a peanut butter cup in the refrigerator just in case of emergencies. The dumbest thing in the world. You know how long the emergency came? 10 minutes into it. Well, you know, it's just one. I just kept it. The, f- the next year, I thought I was smarter and I'll put it in the freezer because then I have to let it thaw. Newsflash, you can eat a frozen peanut butter cup, no problem at all. <laughs> so then by the third year, I, I got rid of all peanut butter cups all together in my house. And you know what? My focus wasn't just staring at the refrigerator thinking, I'm going to beat this, I'm going to beat this, I'm going to beat this. And then later that night, celebrate. I did pretty well. I probably should eat it, right? It's, it's, it's out of the house. It's completely gone. I told my wife, Natalie, never again. Don't buy anything for 40 days. I don't want to see it. Like, kill it. Put it to death. Put it away. Don't keep it in your pocket. And that's what Paul is trying to tell this church in Colossae, that there's a lot of sin going on, a lot of, a lot of sexual sin, impurities, just bad things are going on. Don't entertain it. Paul tells and, and Timothy to flee from it. We get so prideful in thinking that we can handle our own sin. And actually what we do is we just hide it in the freezer till later. So put to death. Put, put it to death completely. And then he gives this, this list uh, that we had to mention. Lust, evil desires. And then he says don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater. Worshipping the things of the world. Now sometimes you can automatically think I'm not an idolater. I don't have a gold statue of something in my house or in my car that I worship and I stop and I bow down to. But when we look at what an idolater is and idolatry is, it's worshiping anything or putting precedence, putting precedence on something other than God. 
Well, then if that's the case, I have to take a look at all the things that I own. Do I put something in front of God? What's my first desire when I wake up in the morning, when, in the middle of the day? Am I greedy? Do, am I satisfied with what I have? Do I have to actually buy my sixth hockey stick? Yes. No. No, I don't. Those extra pair of shoes, whatever it is, my house, my money, I got to work a little bit more. My children, their sports, their future. It's so scary when good things in this world becomes something that we idol, that we worship. It starts off good. It's important to have a job. It's important to make money. It's important to live and breathe and eat. It's important to raise your children. But anytime one of those things or the list goes on and on that goes in front of Jesus, that's idolatry. So he says, do not be greedy. And the remedy for being greedy is being satisfied with what you have. And then you may ask, how do you become satisfied with what you have? I have found that writing out a list or a list of thankfulness, a a list of things that you have is a quick way to be reminded. I know that... um, uh, Legos is a big thing in my in my family, and and always the question is is hey can we get more Legos? Let's go look in the closet. Let's see. And it's funny because we joke around and there's all these cases and all these Legos, but then yet we do the same thing with that. So Paul says, have nothing to do with it. Put it to death. Anything that takes it away. Don't nibble at it. Don't 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 mess around with it. Put it to death. And then verse 6 is the key. Why do we have to do this? Always ask the question, why? And he gives you the answer. In verse 6 it says, Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do things when, you, when your life was still part of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. And a lot of times this, this verse is taken out of context saying, Oh, the, God hates the world. He's going to blow it up. He's so angry. He's awful. He's, he's, he's a mean God. But here's the truth. God is good. God is loving. And he's also these things because he is holy. And he is holy because he's righteous. And he doesn't say to our sins, oh, that's okay, I'll forgive you. He said, I will take those sins, I will pay the penalty, I will put those sins on my son, nail it to him on the cross, and he will die for it. And it will be okay not because i just simply forgiven you, it's because I have paid the penalty, the full payment, So yes, the anger of God is real, but he did something about it. And that's what separates Christianity from any other religion in the world, is that the God of this universe came down to save us. And he says in verse 7, you used to do these things, the list that he just gave to this church. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. See, Christianity at this time was still forming, was still new. Again, this church was only a few years old. Christianity, Jesus Christ had, had just recently died within the last 10 years of, of this taking place. Christianity is starting to grow. The church is starting to grow. The churches around the world. And the reminder is, is, hey, you may have done this in your past, but now that you're a Christian, Don't be part of the world anymore. Don't do it. Because eventually God is going to come back. Christ is going to come back and the world will be judged. We can't ignore that. It should be a motivator to us who are Christians for those who are lost. You know, I'm always reminded, D.L. Moody said, uh, 
<clears throat> to measure how much you love the Lord, see how much you're concerned for the lost. Whew. Just punch me in the face. Thank you, Mr. Moody. But it's true. We can't ignore that. So that's what Paul is saying. He's writing to this church. And again, this church has a whole bunch of people from a whole bunch of different backgrounds. Some used to be Jewish. Some used to have no religion. Some used to be pagans. They're all coming together. They believe in Christ. They're all arguing about what the right way is. And he's establishing here in Colossians 3 in his letter to them, put to death these sins. Because that's not you anymore. And in verse 8, he goes on, he says, But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. So it, it's interesting because first he gives a list of sin. He says, don't do that, put it to death. And then he gives another list of sin. And so my question was, why didn't he just line it out? Give me you know, the PowerPoint presentation of all the sins I shouldn't do. It's because it's different. And all sin is equally separating us from Christ. But the first sin is the sin that is private. It's like that dog that I said that's hidden. This sin is the sin that we do towards others. So he's saying, okay, now that you believe in Christ and you put to kill the sin that you're hiding. Now the sin of anger, rage, malice behavior, slander, and dirty language. Is that you this morning? That's what I wrote. How is your anger? Do you call it holy anger? Holy rage? I think today we can put road rage. Which is interesting about road rage. Side note, if someone's going too slow, they drive too slow. If someone drives past you, they go too fast. So apparently, everything is a rage. Malice behavior. Now it's interesting, this malice behavior. It's anything that's deceitful towards someone. You're like, oh, I, I love everybody. I care for everyone. But how do you treat them? How do you respond when you're mistreated? Slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old nature. It's interesting, this lying to each other. Automatically, at least my little brain thinks lying to each other, my words. You know, you can lie to somebody without even using a word. Someone asks you a question, you avoid it. You don't do what you're supposed to do. You avoid the truth. And then he says, strip off your old sinful nature and its wicked deeds. So, so he gives us two instructions, Paul does, He's, he, to this church in Colossae that applies to us. It really does. Put to death the sin that you're hiding. Don't, do it. Don't even touch it. Just kill it. And then this one is strip off your old sinful nature, which is interesting because when you strip off something, like you're sending down a car to repaint it, and you're stripping off any kind of old paint or whatever, it's a process. Now, Christ has done that process. But in our lives, we have to continually be on the lookout for it. Because at the moment, whenever we think we got rid of anger and rage, all of a sudden something happens, we have to strip it off. It's a process. We haven't arrived yet. Keep doing it. In the first list, again, it's the whole internal sins. And this one is the outward sins, the response to people. So you must kill and strip off. Everything that comes out of us for the world to see comes out from our heart. We are like sponges. When we are squeezed, we see what really comes out of us. 
It impacts not just us, but those around us. What we fill ourselves with. I always tell people who talk about bad dreams and they're having nightmares all the time. And one of the first questions, and it used to be only to teenagers, but now I've found that it's adults too. When they're talking about having a hard time sleeping, having bad dreams, nightmares. I always ask, have you watched any horror movies lately? Oh yeah, we just did a marathon this weekend. I mean, you don't have bad dreams about a scary whatever unless you've seen it. So what we put in, what we read, what we consume, how much time we do it, all comes out of us whenever the pressure's on. And then here's the whole key. Verse 10, he says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know the creator and become like him. Put on your new clothes. Again, going back to that ridiculous illustration of middle school students and adults who spray themselves with cologne perfume, whatever, to smell better. Don't do that. It's like taking a shower and putting on your dirty gym clothes again. You wouldn't do that. Uh, I believe it's George Whitfield who's the one who coined it, saying, don't put your grave clothes back on. Because back then, at this time, they prepared the body, they wrapped it in grave clothing. And his whole example was, once you are new and alive in Christ, don't go back to your old way. Don't put your old clothes back on. Put on your new nature, which again is a process. So if, if we're killing something and we're stripping it away and now we're putting on our new nature, we're putting on these new clothes, we're, we're becoming new, it's a process. You ever see a three-year-old try to put a long sleeve shirt on by themselves after they've taken a bath? It's the funniest thing in the world. Their arms are stuck and their head is stuck. It's a process, it's a struggle. But what we wanna do is as Christians, mature Christian, well, Christians who have experienced this newness is we just want to slide into our silk pajamas. But sometimes it's a struggle to put on the new nature, especially if there's a new season in your life. I never knew what, uh, I thought I understood what being patient was until I started to have children. Then, I, then whenever the children were able to talk and talk back, it's the whole newing. I, Lord, I, I thought I was patient. Now I realize I'm not patient at all. You have to help me. Help me put on this newness, this new clothes. Do it again. Work at it. Not for your salvation, but for your relationship with Christ. But then we can miss this. And, and. so anytime there's a statement, especially in Paul's letters, he makes a statement and something. Don't forget and why. He says and be renewed. So put on your new nature. So put on your new nature. It's a daily. Put it on and be, and be renewed. So don't just put it on and not be changed. Don't just do it. Have you ever gone in autopilot? Have you ever been having a conversation with someone that's your fifth time having the same conversation and your answer is, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Really? You think that's a good idea? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh and you don't pay attention. It's the same thing it, it, when we're doing our daily devotions, when we're spending time with God. We can rush through it because we know we're supposed to do it. Give us that list. I want at the end of the day to put all the check marks next to my Christian box. But if we are being renewed, it's more than a check mark. It's a relationship. And it changes. So put on the new clothes. And it may be a struggle. And Paul points this out that when we are renewed, we learn a little bit 
every day who Christ is to grow in him. Just like we shouldn't be covering up things with coats of paint or spray or anything else. Put on. It's the same word, the verb that Paul uses in many of his letters, but in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. It's a choice. You must put it on. And here's the thing, too, with putting on your armor, putting on your clothes. At this time, people would have understood that when you do this, it's a process not done alone. So these, these people who were going into battle were never able to put on their armor by themselves. They had to have someone help you. The breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate. Putting on the helmet. You needed help. All that says you need accountability. You need someone to walk you through. So whenever you're putting to death and you're trying to raise it back up to do it again, someone can point it out in a loving way. When, when you say something off-colored or something rude or mean and someone has the love for you to say, that was hurtful, that was rude, that was mean. And I'll close with just this, or in verse 11, excuse me, then I'll close. It says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. In that list of Jew, Gentile, circumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, is really, it doesn't matter your race, your position, how much money you make, and how you feel that you need to do your religious practices. You need to put on Christ every day, the new life. So putting on this new life is a choice, and, and uh, I know that I always give a lot of sports and uh, uh, hockey especially, forgive me, but... It has impacted me greatly because I've really seen Christ through other people. So much so that um, right whenever I graduated high school, uh, graduated from going to college, so now I'm a middle young adult or whatever, still living the dream of thinking one day I'm going to be a hockey professional. I never really thought that, but... Uh, we were playing a hockey, I was playing in a hockey game and I was playing against uh, another guy that I didn't really know, another goalie. And um, we were so bad. I think he won 15 to 14. So I, that's like in basketball, if it's like 300 to 275. Uh, baseball, if it's like 50 runs, to four, it's really bad. You get the point? Okay. And I was feeling pretty bad about myself because I'm, I'm a little competitive. And, um, but this guy that, that kept giving up as many goals as I did, but minus one and he was dancing and having a good time and I was like this is not fun zero fun I want to quit have you ever done something and you think the whole time I want to quit I want to quit I want to quit I want to quit and then whenever it comes to it you're like I wasn't so bad that wasn't me I just wanted to quit altogether so anyway so it was in the in in the locker room and they had this little place where the goalies got their gear off and we were sitting down and I said man why were you so excited he said, man, I love hockey. I didn't think I was going to be able to play hockey for like the last five years. I said, why is that? And as he did that, he took off his prosthetic leg. And I was like, oh my goodness. And of course I cried because, you know, I cry. I put my helmet back on so no one could see. And, uh, and he said, you know, I had this bone cancer in my chin. I, I don't know what it's called. And he said, and then whenever I found out that from my shin down, I had to be amputated. And he said, my first thought was, I'm never going to be able to play goalie again. He said, so they amputated my leg and I got a prosthetic and I learned to walk again. And then I learned to run. And then I asked 
the doctor, you think I could play hockey? And he said, well, you could try it out. And, and eventually he got to the point where he's playing hockey. He said, so I'm excited because every day I get to put on my prosthetic leg. He said, if this was 50 years ago, my dream would have been over. I get to put on every day my prosthetic leg. And then he said, at first it was hard because some days I didn't want to do it because it hurt and it was sore. And the bottom of my knee where my leg once was, was raw and it hurt. He said, but now every day I get to put it on. I get to choose to put it on. I said, all right, I'm never complaining again. But of course I did. But putting on that whole image for me, it just totally changed. Putting on Christ every day, struggling to do it on, killing what is bad, not worrying about the critics and what everyone's telling you, you and your relationship with Christ. Max Licato in his daily devotions write this, and I'll close with this. He says, the Jesus of many people is small enough to be contained in an aquarium that fits on the cabinet. He never causes trouble or demands attention. If you want a goldfish bowl of Jesus, steer clear of the real Jesus Christ. He changes everything. No, Jesus doesn't make you sexy, skinny, or clever. Jesus doesn't change what you see in the mirror. He changes how you see what you see. He will not be silenced, packaged, or predicted. He is the pastor who chased people out of church. He is the prophet who had a soft spot for crooks and prostitutes. He is the king who washed the grime off the feet of his betrayer. He turned a bread basket into a buffet and a dead friend into a living one. And most of all, he transformed a tomb into a womb out of which life was born. Life, your life. Which Jesus do you have? The goldfish bowl sitting on the shelf or the real Jesus who changes everything? Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are and what you're doing in our lives, Lord. Lord, forgive us of our sins, Lord. And we're sorry when we think that we are better than what you have designed us to be. Forgive us of any sin in our lives, Lord. Let us put to death as Paul has told this church in Colossae to do what you want us to do. Let us continue to strip away all that is not of you, Lord. Let us, let us be bold in doing that and be reminded that when we are putting on every day the new clothes, the new us, that we don't go back to the old grave clothes, that we don't go back to the dirty clothes, Lord, that we don't default back to that, Lord, and that we are willing to receive help to put that on, Lord. And even if it's a struggle, to put this new nature on every day. Give us courage, give us the stamina, give us your spirit to be able to do so, Lord. Lord, we, we are so indebted to you and yet you gave your son freely to us. Lord, we don't, as Max Licato said, we don't want a fishbowl Jesus. We don't want one where we just come to it every once in a while. We want you to radically come into our lives and change it. Lord, we want you to reveal to us whatever is not of you. Wherever we are struggling at, Lord, give us confidence and boldness to come to your throne honest and real of what we're dealing with, Lord. And, and let us gain uh, an understanding of how important it is to have someone walk along with us or a group of guys or a group of girls or families or life groups or whatever it is to be open and honest, Lord. Lord, we're not perfect. You're perfect, Lord. Lord, we just want more of you. Lord, if nothing else, we just want to continue to seek you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for not just dusting off the sin, but completely 
paying that penalty that separated us through your son. Lord, we love you. And as we continue to worship you in song now, just speak to us. We thank you. We love you. In Christ's name.